On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss when technology becomes frustrating from a joy to a chore. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 80 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the community, places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network to give our takes. With me today is the principal photography expert of the Destination Linux Network, Wendy, and the chronic gaming enabler on the network and beyond, Matt. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Doing fantastic as well, mate. How's your chronic addiction going, Matt? I mean, pushing going. Actually, at this moment, I am not going to be talking specifically games. I'm going to be talking about gaming, yes, but... (laughs) No fooling. I'm actually working on a lot of different games for content that's coming down the pipeline. For those that want to know, go watch the latest episode that I have out in long form with Nate. People are going to be seeing kind of a more microbytes kind of stuff. I know I did want to kind of explain example like the ESRB ratings because Mm -hmm. people tend not to pay attention to them. Why is little Timmy at 10 playing GTA? Good point. Stuff like that is something I'm looking at. I have an interview with the Chimera OS developer that I wanted to do. So that's coming up. We have an episode that we are playing a game with Jill again. And it will be kind of a mix between what you were playing, Nate, and a little bit of what Michael was playing as far as like the structure of the game. And then we got some other stuff coming down the pipeline that I'll be looking at totally cross-platform playable games that have built-in benchmarks and then built-in benchmark tools that are totally cross-platform as well that generically don't get featured as much. So we'll be looking at that kind of stuff. Oh, that's really exciting. A lot of people, oh, well, this isn't available on Alex. Well, okay, this is available on this, this, and this platform. You know, we talk about alternatives and all the other stuff. And sometimes the alternatives are actually a little bit better when they're totally cross-platform because then it's just testing the system as a whole and the underlying system in and of itself. While it matters, it kind of doesn't. No, I think that's great. Benchmarking is something I don't have a grasp on, really. Back in my days on the Amiga, it was really easy. You had like the sysinfo benchmarking tool. That wasn't very good, but it kind of gave you a pretty good idea of where you were. And I played with some benchmarking tools in Linux. I scratched my head a little bit. I'm like, it's not really working. Or what am I supposed to do here? It's not very intuitive. You know, it's not just click and go. I'm interested in seeing any kind of tutorials or whatever it is that you end up spitting out there on benchmarking because, yeah, I'm pretty much clueless. I would say I'm shocked, but I'm not, given the fact that most of it's related to gaming stuff anyway. (laughs) Right. Wait, the clueless part? The clueless about gaming part, yes. People want to know, just go watch the current episode of Game Sierra. You'll see. Ooh, snap. Shots fired. <laughs> that was a burn. Me, never, Nate. I mean, he's not wrong. I would never be snarky and sarcastic with you. No, no, never. But while I am updating my content, amongst other things, Wendy, what have you been looking to update? If you follow me on Mastodon, you know what my most recent purchase was, and it was not one that I wanted to make. My fridge went out, and so I had to get a new one. Well, that's not cool. Exactly. Very much not (laughs) cool. And the worst part about it is it's never fun to have a fridge go out. But then when you're dealing with shortages like we are now, it's really hard to find anything in stock. Then on top of that, there is a height max for the fridge. We're renting right now and there's some cupboards that go over the top of the place where the fridge goes. And so it can't be more than a certain height so it can fit within that 
set section of the fridge. This is a major expense that I didn't want in the first place. And then finding a fridge that fits the needs that I have, plus within that certain size range, there were only two, yes, two fridges locally that fit specifications. I went ahead and ordered one last night. My husband needs to go to Big Town today, so he will be picking it up and bringing it home with him. And I'm still absolutely sick over the fact that I just dropped a whole bunch of money on the fridge. But to be fair, the fridge that died was manufactured April of 1996. Yes, it's just over 25 years old. I'm really happy that it lasted that long. I know for the last few years, it's been making sounds that I'm like, mm, you're probably going to die here soon. And of course, it died during the shortage of supplies in general. After 25 years, it is finally decided that it is no longer working anymore. And I don't expect the new fridge to last anywhere near that long. And I know that is horrible to say right out front, but they just don't make things in general, and especially major appliances, the way they used to. If we can get 10 to 15 years out of the next one, that's probably as good as it's going to get nowadays, though I'd love it if we could stretch it at least another 25 years. Now, you didn't mention the brand, not that it's important, but I used to work for a major appliance manufacturer, interestingly enough, in refrigeration. And so when you say your fridge is not going to last as long, you're absolutely correct. It won't. However, the average lifespan of a fridge is about 17 years so that should give you some hope. At least yes. It was years ago. You've been doing all kinds of home stuff too. And it sounds like you do have some major appliances that you're working on. But what else do you got going in your home network? Well, I talked about my smart switches that I reprogrammed with Tesmode on them to turn lights and everything else. Well, I also remember last week the internet went out here you know, when we recorded. And so I was without internet. What I didn't realize was these Tasmoda devices, they ping an NTP server, a network time protocol server, kind of regularly to make sure that they have the correct time because they're very time dependent. And so when I didn't have any internet and they're pinging the internet for a time that caused the switches to basically have a, a kind of an aneurysm, you'd push them and they wouldn't necessarily turn on or off. It kind of became unresponsive. Talking to some people much smarter than I, which is probably half the internet, the guy said, Tony, he said, they're looking for an NTP server maybe you should set up one locally. So I was just a click away from an NTP server on my IP Firebox, set that up, but I had to make sure that everything else was looking at it too. Also, you know, set up the Tasmoto devices. I got the command to set the NTP server preference on the Tasmoto devices. I had to go into each of them individually and set that up. Not a big deal, a short command. And then I saw my computers on it as well. I figured why not have one less thing going outside the network. I was like, well, how do I check to make sure my NTP server is actually working? I mean, it's one thing to have it set up, but how do you know it's actually working? That actually took me longer to figure out how to do that. You know, you can always find how to set up an NTP server and how to point to it, but how do you actually query it? So I did find something and then I modified it for my needs and then I did publish a little article on my website, a little blathering. So it's probably not useful to most people, but just a how to check to make sure your NTP server is actually giving you information that you need. Since I set up the local NTP server this week, everything is now working fine. None of my switches have had any hiccups. Everything is great. I just have one that's on the wrong time zone that's supposed to come on when the sun sets. That's not correct. I'll get that figured out here pretty soon. Outside of that, everything is great. I'm really glad I learned that because, well, that's one less thing that's internet dependent in my home. So kind of close to that goal of self-reliance. So the one that is most time 
dependent is the one that is on the wrong time zone? Well, they're all time dependent, but the one that I set a timer on, so it come on like a little before dusk, then turn off a little before dawn. It's like four hours off. I think it might be on UTC time. <laughs> I just have to set an offset. Yeah, there's that. But you know, it's whatever. I can still turn it on remotely if I have to. Like this morning, it wasn't on. I'm like, well, stinkweed. I should probably do that in Home Assistant as opposed to on the device itself. But I thought it'd be cool to have the device be independent of Home Assistant should Home Assistant go down for whatever reason. Right. Definitely a learning process for sure. This stuff is a joy to work on as opposed to a frustration. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. It does bring to mind, when does technology become more of a rage or irritating to work on as opposed to being a joy? When does it go from being something fun, something we look forward to working on, to being something that just you want to put it in the uh, e-recycling bin and say, I'm done with this? What's that cutoff point for you? Some of it really depends on how much time that I have. And if time is limited and I know that a process is going to take a long time, that seems to be a pain point for me. This is one of those reasons why I've only installed Arch the Archway once. And it's not that it was a bad experience. (laughs) It was definitely a learning experience. I'm glad that I went through that. But it is not one of those situations that I do every single time that I need a fresh install. Granted, I don't do fresh installs very often, like hardly ever. But in those cases when I do need to perform a fresh install, I need to be up and running as quickly as possible. So that is where there are parts of Arch that I really do enjoy. I love the fast-paced nature of it. I do pull a few things from the AUR. So my solution to keep my technology being a joy is going Arch-based. Everybody knows I am a Manjaro Plasma user, and that's one of the reasons why I use it. It seems to be the best of both worlds for me. I get to have not quite as fresh-faced as Arch, but I still get to have the freshness with applications being updated on a regular basis. Plus, I have a system that I can quickly get up and running if there was a situation where I needed to fresh install my main system, my kitchen system. And I actually use my kitchen system probably more than I'd use my main system because it's in the kitchen and there are some days that I feel like I live in the kitchen. Having that speediness 
definitely makes a difference for me. Yeah, I'm kind of in Wendy's camp. For me, it's more about time such a limited thing that we have to spend on stuff. If it becomes more of a headache than a convenience or the end result is a convenience, that will, you know, solve a problem or whatever. Like, Nate, you have a specific use case for, like, why you're doing home automation, as an example. At the end of the day, you find that useful for what you need. So, therefore, that time investment, it doesn't feel like it's a waste. In Wendy's case, where she mentions Arch, I'm in the same boat. I've done, quote-unquote, the Arch the right way, straight installs of Arch. And for me, I get to the point where if I'm asking, uh, what did I gain from doing something this way, I just wasted time. And that to me is something we don't have enough of. I don't want to waste it. So if it's going to impede me from potentially using my time wisely and uh, ventures that I prefer to do, be it technology, Linux, open source, whatever, then that's when technology in and of itself becomes a hindrance. Because if a computer goes down, as an example, I can't sit here and spend waste two hours of not being productive. I have to keep going. Right. And that's why you have things like backup systems and all the other stuff. So while I jokingly say I have a ton of backup systems, they're not without their purpose or function or feature. Nate, how often have you had cascading failures? I mean, we could almost say last week's episode was a cascading failure (laughs) because of uh, everybody just having issues and stuff. Right. Stuff like that happens. So to me, that's really where it boils down. It's a time investment. If it's a time investment I'm willing to make, that's one thing because I view the end result as worth it. If it starts impeding more of my time, that's when, ironically, out the window. That's why, you know, Windows (laughs) generally goes out the windows. I find Linux to be just quicker to deal with than dealing with Windows. Or in, like Wendy mentioned, instead of doing Arch the Arch way, I find generically Arch-based distros get me to where the end result a whole lot quicker and not leaving me asking, what was the point? Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I think the point for some people is definitely the experience. And some people really enjoy that. And I think the more you do it, the faster you get at it. So you could probably build up the point to where you can install an Arch system amazingly fast. I don't know anybody that could possibly install a Gentoo system amazingly fast, but that all comes down to the fact that you're compiling everything yourself. So there's just added time part of that. I have watched people in stages install Gentoo and watching that, I find it interesting just to see as they are developing the system and making choices that is really cool. And I hands down, I think it's awesome for the people who enjoy doing that. It's just not one of those situations for me where I enjoy it. But at the same time, I am also one of those people that will take an hour, two hours out of my day to flash a phone and get it reset up. So I definitely have some things that I will spend an absorbent amount of time on that doesn't necessarily add to my day. It's picking and choosing what you're spending those extra things on. And not all of us are going to find the same pain points. Very personal. Yeah, but on the same note, you talk about flashing a phone as an example. I know you enjoy that. Well, not with Samsung devices anyway. (laughs) Right. Odin's kind of a pain. There's your pain point with flashing (laughs) devices. What I'm saying is you're generally flashing phones or tablets and that stuff for a better result, correct? Yeah. I'm usually getting better privacy out of them. In some cases, I'm getting better speeds out of them, especially when you get some of that crap wear off of a device that it comes with. (laughs) Fire tablets. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that is no yeah. joke. You end up with a snappier, more performant piece of hardware to use. I flash my phones when it's an option or sometimes I'll get an old piece of hardware, like an old phone or an old tablet, and I'll flash a de-googled Android on there just so I have more performance and extract a little more out of the device before it's at end of life or until it just dies because it's doing the job just fine. When I decide to customize something, whatever it might be, if I have to fiddle with it to keep it running, like it's not sustainable. Now, before I start a project, now mind you, I'm not one to shy away from a project, as you are probably very well aware, but sometimes I'll actually go through this thought trail, is the juice worth the squeeze? What am I going to have to do to keep this thing going? What is my technical debt from initiating this project? If the technical debt is too high or I can't sustain it, I may end up actually reverting some of the choices. You know, I might go from digital solution to a more analog solution, which doesn't happen very often, but it has happened. You know, like right now with the whole smart switch thing, I'm not at the point yet where there's been a, outside of some issues I had, you know, setting things up, where I had a technical debt with it. It's been more of a contribution. You know, sometimes I find like my technology choices have made life more difficult as opposed to making things better. I'll rip out that quote solution, revert it back. And I'm not afraid to do that. I very quietly do that. People don't know that I screwed something up, unless they ask, but I don't generally announce it. I'm the tech guy, right? At least in my circles. And it also makes me wonder things like with the advent of the Pine Phone and Pine Phone Pro now coming out, like do I have to struggle against the hardware to be able to do the things I want to do? How much am I willing to struggle? What are the things I'm willing to give up? And what things will be added by making the decision? That's a lot of where my thought process goes. Like right now, you know, the Pine Phone has been a toy and I've acknowledged it. It's a toy. It's something to play with. It's something I enjoy playing with, but I think I have to fiddle with it too much still to be able to use it for my regular purposes, my regular needs. It's still too much fiddling and it kind of becomes a chore to accomplish the task. That's just kind of the thought process I go through right now. Yeah, like using a Pine phone as an example, I'm viewing it as basically what Pine sells it as, or as you said, it's a toy. It's a tinkerer's toy. Mm -hmm. So if you like tinkering or in Wendy's case, you like flashing ROMs, then it's kind of going to scratch that itch for the most part because it allows you to do that. I view it as a good investment of time because it's a knowledge seeking thing for me. It allows you to experience what's available in the ecosystem for all the alternative OSs that are available that are Linux based on one particular device. And you can pick and choose and kind of gain some knowledge about what may or may not be the best experience for you. And I think that's a valuable thing because really, when you look at the overall market, when it comes to like mobile, we really do need a viable third option. Oh, for sure. Android and iOS ain't it. I think being able to explore these different options on, I don't want to call it commoditized piece of hardware, but a standard base piece of hardware actually helps accelerate that market far more than the myriad of Android devices that try to differentiate themselves with weird things like, oh, we have a lock bootloader, we have an unlock bootloader, we have a skin, or if you have a you know a Samsung Galaxy Fold 3 and you install a different ROM, your cameras don't work, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> That's fun. I think that to me is a good investment of time. Might not be for everybody. Some people are content with Android and iOS, and that's totally fine. When you take like our personal preferences away, you know, be it Linux, open source, whatever, just tech in general, I think when you start looking at it and you look at technology and you start asking yourself, what was the point, why, et cetera, that's when you might want to look at your tech overall and figure out what you need, what you don't, what's impeding you as opposed to helping you. You know, another example of a piece of tech that I just stopped using, an old Dell laptop. I love that laptop. I took it everywhere with me. I actually used it for 10 years, a Dell D630. It had the NVIDIA GPU in it, Street Graphics. 
I found that the longer I used it and when NVIDIA stopped supporting that GPU, it became harder and harder to keep going. The Nuevo or Nuvo graphics, they were subpar. The computer became not a joy to use. You know, really, I mean, it has 8 gig of RAM in it and it has the fastest Core 2 Duo mobile processor you could stick in there. But it was no longer fun to use because it's like, well, sometimes it won't wake up anymore. And sometimes you have to disable the uh, compositor because everything looks all crazy. And it was sad because, well, one, it's obviously the GPU is not open sourced. So you don't have those open source drivers. I could continue, but I had to stop using that because it became a technical liability. I couldn't rely on it anymore, and it was no longer fun to continue to use that computer. I kept it, and I'll occasionally turn it back on just to, you know, keep it updated. It's no longer a useful tool. Now, a piece of my computing history that I'm going to hang on to and see how long it'll actually last, but it's just not fun. And those are sad times for me, which is actually why I like to use open source software because it, it tends to last longer and I have more choice. It's kind of put a bad taste in my mouth with the NVIDIA GPU at this point. I definitely understand your pain with the laptop situation there, Nate. As someone working on a 10-year-old i7 second gen, I feel your pain as far as that goes. So yep. it's going to be a painful day, but unfortunately come to the realization that after a while, certain things just, they meet an end of life and not necessarily mm-hmm. because, and yes, Nate, even the Commodore 64. Nope. That thing is still basically new. <laughs> it's no slower today. Actually, it's faster today than it was in 1985. Thank you very little. <laughs> I will thank you very little. So I, I definitely understand, but like for me, not being able to upgrade the GPU in some of these newer systems, that is something that I am going to dread because that means less flexibility. Unfortunately, that's also the reality. Not one I enjoy, kind of like Wendy headphones. Yes, <laughs> and that is definitely a pain point for me. We've talked about it on the last several episodes of Extend. I've talked about it on Hardware Addicts, and I use my headphone jack all of the time. I have started looking into ways to compensate for that, and they do make USB-C dongles that will charge and that you connect headphones to. I need to be looking into some reviews and trying to figure out which one is going to last the longest, which one's going to hold up. One of my concerns about adding this dongle is then you have this extra weight now hanging off the charging port. And yes, for the most part, it'll be hanging. So I have a pop socket on the back of my phone and then I have several different mounts around my house where I hang up my phone. That way I can find it because if I don't put it up on one of those and sometimes even when I do, I can't find my phone. It's just how I keep track of it. It's how it works. So it has to be able to be light enough that it's not going to cause extra strain on that charging port. It's all frustrating. I don't understand why we're getting rid of the handphone jack. Just keep it. Keep it forever. Keep it like Nate keeps a Commodore 64. Is that too much to ask? I think that's a great idea. Nope, that's not too much to ask. Everyone should keep a Commodore 64 and a headphone jack, but that's my opinion. I'll agree with the headphone jack. I don't know about the Commodore 64. Unless you got the C64 thing like you have, which is, you know, the knockoff. The imposter Commodore? Yeah. Using it right now. I like it. It's a perfect design for probably only me. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. 
Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So Matt, when things are not frustrating you, when your technology is behaving and life is good, I assume you're probably playing a game. No, never. I would never play video games, Nate. You know, oh, I'm sorry. You're is... pushing games on other people. There we go. Now you got it right. <laughs> kind of like I pushed Tesla Effect onto you. Probably went down the rabbit hole of Tex Murphy games at this point. For me, yeah, I've been actually playing a video game yet again, believe it or not. I'm playing this on the PS4, and it is Persona 5 Royal. Now, I had done a recommendation, I believe, for Persona 5 before. Persona 5 Royal is an enhanced, more complete edition. I don't know really how to, what to call it as. I would say a more thorough edition than probably the original. It's got some additions, got some new content, some other stuff with it. Gameplay is basically the same as the original. A stylized turn-based JRPG. Definitely worth getting. I got the physical edition, I think, for like 20 bucks. So you can usually find it pretty cheap. I'm more of a physical game collector personally for myself. I wouldn't download it to get it. I'm more of the, uh, again, physical collector. So your mileage may vary on overall cost. It is a rated M game, do mind you. Despite the anime vibe it gives you. It talks about some heavy subjects and whatnot that are... Let's just say it talks about some heavy subjects. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Well, I do like the website. I think they have a very fun website. It's very unique, very custom. I don't see anything on the gameplay. But so you said you actually bought the physical media, which what did that entail? Was it like a disc or was that a because PS4, right? Or you, you get it for something else? I got it for PS4. It was a physical disc edition of it. Came with the game. That's pretty much it. <laughs> game in a steel case. Was it their day one edition? I don't remember the exact edition it was. I think it was just their steel box edition, which is it just comes with a steel case instead of a regular like PS4 case. Fancy. It's definitely something I enjoy. I would love to see them port it to PC, but I don't know at this point. Why are all the trailer videos unavailable? Uh, it's probably country. It had me select my country, but it still tells me that video is unavailable. Apparently it's not for me then. Shock, surprise, Nate. Nate, anything in the last 30 years is not for you. Well, yeah, the graphics are too detailed for a guy like me. If it's not like 8 or 16-bit, <laughs> it's a little more difficult for me to play, unless it's Mario Kart, in which case I'll play any version of Mario Kart and be happy. Basically, I'm grinning from ear to ear when I play Mario Kart. You said you liked the art style of the game that I shared last week. That's true. I mean, contrarian now. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> I actually like a lot of things. <laughs> but when talking to Matt... You know, talking to Matt, basically I obfuscate the truth a little bit with him. Make it sound like his recommendations really aren't very good, but really they are. You know, you just say otherwise. Wait, is he still here? Oh, I'm still here. <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, Matt, your recommendations are just spot on all the time. So while I'm making video game recommendations, Wendy, what's going on with you? I was actually surfing the discourse forum today, and I came across this really interesting post. One of our listeners has found this older Dell case, and it's a really cool looking older case, and he's wanting to modify it, make some changes to it. There was some talk in there saying that especially where Dell in these desktop style cases don't tend to use standard 
colored motherboards, it can be a little bit of a pain to do. And there was some different discussion on modifying the case, tweaking it, and whether it was going to be worth the work to do. And just looking at this case, and I will make sure that there's a link in the description because you got to go check it out. I think it's cool enough looking. They don't make cases like this anymore. Yeah, they'll make some changes. They'll make some tweaks. Usually they've got a whole bunch of rainbow vomit on them. But this was in the time where they were actually putting some more effort into case design on these pre-built systems. And I think it would be a shame not to turn this into a modern system with this case. I agree. I think this is a fantastic looking case. It's not just a block. It's got some bends to it and whatever. I think they definitely should turn this into a modern case. I mean, why not? The front of it looks like an air intake from a jet or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's got some awesome airflow. And that's one of the things that's hard to find in some of these old pre-built cases. This one, it's sleek looking. It's got lots of airflow to it. It would be a harder case for me to run depending on what it's got for screens in the front and back just for the sheer amount of dust that we've got around here. But it would be sad to see this case go into the garbage or a recycle bin. I would definitely fetch this case out. Probably paint it beige because I like beige. Beige is your color. It's my color right now. Yeah. The color of today or 40 years ago. But anyway, I definitely like the design of the case. If you look at the back of it, lots of venting and then how they very neatly, because it looks like the thing's kind of like a parallelogram and a slant or whatever. Yeah. They have the card slots accessible, but they're below the case surface, I guess, which is actually kind of nice because if you push the case up against like a wall or whatever, you're not going to be bending and torquing on the cables. That's a neat design. I hope that they're able to recover that. I think they should be able to. How bad could Dell have changed the motherboard design, I wonder? There isn't an image of it completely stripped apart, and that's one of the things that it would be interesting to see. If all of those other components were removed from it, what does that motherboard actually look like? Are there enough contact points, depending on if this is not a standard motherboard, to actually make it work. You can do modifications to cases to make it work. There's plenty of those tools and accessories out there to make that happen. But it's A, you know, how much time are you investing into doing this? How much money are you investing into doing this? So it's not my case. It's not something that I'm currently dealing with. But just looking at it, it's definitely a project that would be interesting to take on. If they go through with this spazzy C. If you go through with actually turning this system into a modern system, completely rebuild the insides, I would love to see images of the process. What you do, any changes you need to make, share some video. I don't care if it's cell phone video. I really want to see how this project comes together and what you need to do to make it work. Even if it's a total failure, the process, I mean, just do it. I would say. Learning. <laughs> Just give it a try, yeah. You've been doing so much stuff on your home. What have you got going on for when you're outside, you're out and about? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I purchased a bag. It's a black bag with like Molly webbing on it so you can strap things onto it. And so the, the issue was that the bag I've been using for about the last six years or so is kind of deteriorating. The rubbers were hardened and cracked and everything else. It was a very nice bag at one time. You know, my needs have changed. I'm not going into an office anymore. So I don't have to look like an office professional. I don't have to have that fancy looking thing going on. So what is I got this bag. I got it real cheap, actually. And it's a nice quality bag. Some deal that is an ad that actually got me because I was already in the window. So thanks, whichever big tech company that was spying on me, you got the money. 
way to go. Anyway, so what's nice is I can add other little things to it. I like to keep extra water on me, so I got a little water bottle pouch. I can admin pouch on there as well. It didn't really have a great spot for my laptop, so I created out of some foam core a pouch to put my laptop in. It's actually probably better protected in this bag now than it was in the previous bag. The thing that was actually really important is because, you know, I'm out with my kids a lot. Wendy, I'm sure you, you know this, but Kids are accident prone. It's all kinds of like cuts and scrapes and all, you know, whatever. These just happen. And sometimes I had forgotten to bring my first aid bag with me. And I have one. I got a first aid pouch to put on this bag as well. I packed it full of things like bandages, antiseptics, antibiotic ointment and stuff like that because things just happen. But at the same time, you know, I still do a lot of computery things. So now I have one bag that has everything all nice together. It's kind of my go bag. You know, so when I go any place, throw my laptop in there, it's got my other bits of information that I need, government ID and whatnot, monetary funds and so forth. Now I just have to grab the one bag. It's got my computer. It's got all that stuff. It's got a first aid pouch on it. It has extra water and a perfect spot for my pine phone. And then I can just go. I just got everything set up this week. I think Monday on the bag. On Tuesday, I already had to dig into the first aid pouch. So there we go. It's already been a good investment. Actually, it's not been very much at all because, you know, I eBay everything. So I like it. I'm very happy. Uh, my daughter wants one too. So I can teach her how to do first aid. So... <laughs> I understand the bag that's got absolutely everything in it. It's probably one of those reasons why I keep one is because of kids. And there are so many things in there. My cousin's bridal shower, one of the games we played was what was in your bag. And I scored so <laughs> many points <laughs> with all of the crap that I carry with me. And I like the idea of being able to throw your laptop in there too. I really don't like to take the bag in the store with me all the time. We do keep first aid kits in all of the vehicles. There is a first aid kit in the bag that I pack with me, including a tourniquet, there's all kinds of stuff that's just in case. You never know what's going to happen. I've had a kid slice his finger extremely deeply, and thankfully it was on the side with a mandolin slicer. So it was taking off part of the pad of his finger instead of going deep into the muscle. Mm. Thank goodness. But yes, yeah. kids are accident prone. My youngest is probably one of the most accident prone children I've ever had. He is quite the little monkey. He's always climbing on stuff, jumping on stuff. Got to touch, got to figure out how it works. And it's resulted into multiple AR trips for that child. And so I totally understand the fact that there needs to be a first aid kit on hand all of the time, no matter where you are. Hopefully I don't have to do anything like use the splint or start an IV. Although I don't have IV fluid, so I wouldn't do that anyway. But I don't want to have to do those things. If it's that bad, then I got other problems. Yeah, then it's more serious than you really want to be involved in. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description or drop us a message on the contact forum by visiting dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store to grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with other shows from across network. As always, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. When shopping for a fridge, I love my technology. Really, I do, obviously. I'm also on a show called Hardware Addicts. But this is one of those places where I find diminishing returns. And as we're walking through some of these 
stores, looking at fridges, trying to find ones that are the proper size. I'm seeing fridges for like $3,500, $4,000. And I'm like, okay, it is a fridge. Yes, I understand wanting specific things and wanting a quality fridge, but no, my fridge does not need to talk to me over Wi-Fi. No, I don't need a specialty <laughs> door that shows me pictures. There's these things called magnets and I can stick pictures and the kids' artwork to the fridge without spending an extra $2,500 to make that happen. I just don't understand this trend. But Wendy, that is so 1996. Why would you want to put <laughs> magnets on a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> because I would say that I am, and if you listen to Hardware Addicts, I'm the person on the show that I'm like, yes, new tech is super cool, but that has no point and I'm not paying for that. I am definitely on that side of, I love my technology, but I am not spending $4,000 on a fridge. That's way less than what I bought my used car for. The last one that we bought is way less than that. It's a car that I drive every single day or most days. And I spent way less than that used. I'm not spending $4,000 on a fridge. I can't speak for like current technology and fridges because I've been out of that game for uh, a little while now. At one time, some of these really expensive high-end fridges, they didn't use much more electricity per day on the average that you would use out of a CFL, a compact fluorescent light, a larger one. They're really proud about that with how efficient everything is. So there is that, but I don't know if you're going to get that in cost savings overall over the lifespan. I, I don't know. I, I do know that sometimes experimenting with technology, although I think they should continue to advance and push the envelope and try different features. I'm all for that because some people do actually want to spend the money on that. Me personally, I want a refrigerator to do two basic things. One, keep my food cold. That's supposed to just be cold. And then keep the stuff that's supposed to be frozen, frozen. Outside of that, everything else is a luxury. In the refrigerator, like it freezes your cottage cheese that was in the back of their fridge. That's a problem. <laughs> I don't like that. But And also if the freezer thaws, that's also a problem. But I do have backups too. So should something go out or whatever, give me problems, I'm actually okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy market right now. And there are some very interesting things that are now being put on refrigerators. Nice segue. I know. You set me up. It was like the perfect pitch and then <laughs> right out of the park. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>